Attention will focus on the level of participation. The army needs a strong turnout to endorse its own political powers and perhaps to pave the way for its leader, General Sisi, to eventually run for president. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, we look at the business implications of the policy address on the program this morning. In the headlines, the World Bank lifts its estimates for global growth. IMF Chief Christine Lagarde warns about deflation and equity markets charge a bit higher on better earnings and decent economic data. First, this little tease. With inflation running way below central bank targets in most corners, clearly we are seeing rising risk of deflation. So that's a quote from Christine Lagarde, and we'll hear more from her in a moment. We'll also be hearing from David O'Rear, chief economist at the Hong Kong General Chamber of Commerce, on the policy address. We'll be taking a look at Li Ka-shing's plan to spin off his Hong Kong utilities business, Hong Kong Electric, into a listed trust. Alex Frangos from the Wall Street Journal will join us for that discussion. And we'll be taking a brief look at markets with Dickie Wong from Kingston Securities. But first, the World Bank has raised its forecast for global growth for the first time in three years. It says advanced economies have started to pick up, led by the United States. RTHK's Richard Pine reports. The rosier outlook suggests the world economy is finally breaking free from a long and sluggish recovery after the global financial crisis. The World Bank is predicting that the global economy will expand 3.2% this year, up from its previous 3% forecast in June. In its biannual economic forecast report, the bank said the global economy had come to a turning point. It's expecting stronger growth in the United States in particular. It predicts the U.S. economy will grow 2.8% in 2014 from 1.8% last year. It said there are indications for the first time in five years that a self-sustaining recovery has begun among developed countries, suggesting that they may now join developing countries as a second engine of growth in the global economy. But at the same time, the bank trimmed its forecasts for developing countries. For China, it's now expecting 7.7% growth for this year, down from its previous forecast of 8%, saying the economy is shifting to slower but more sustainable consumption-led growth. The World Bank said it expects interest rates around the world to inch up gradually, causing minimal disruptions for developing countries as capital inflows slow down. But it warned that if rates jump suddenly, countries with high debt levels or large trade deficits, such as Thailand and Malaysia, would be most vulnerable. On the modest uptick in estimates for global growth uh, from the World Bank, while IMF chief Christine Lagarde is also optimistic. Optimism is in the air. We've left the deep freeze behind us and the horizon looks just a bit brighter. So my hope and my wish for 2014 is that after those seven miserable years, weak and fragile, we have seven strong years. But she also warned about deflation. With inflation running way below central bank targets (coughs) in most corners, clearly we are seeing rising risk of deflation which could prove disastrous for the recovery. If inflation is the genie, then certainly deflation is the ogre. That must be fought decisively. 
Ms. Lagarde says that there's a bit of a changing of the guard in terms of leadership for growth this year. During the years of crisis, we have relied heavily on the emerging market economies and on the low-income economies to actually be the drivers of growth. And if you combine those two categories, emerging and low-income countries, they produced actually about three-quarters of global growth. However, a growing number of those emerging market economies are slowing down as the economy cycle turns. So that's also one of the risks that we see going forward. Let's get a check now of markets here in Asia, or at least in the Asia-Pacific, and how they're trading in Australia. The main index is up 32 points at 52.87. That's a gain of about six-tenths of one percent. In Japan, the Nikkei has picked up 35 points, a fifth of a percent gain there, 15,844. And also in uh, Seoul, the uh, Kospi there is up about uh, two-tenths of one percent, a gain of three points at 19.56. Is how currencies are moving. The dollar is trading a little higher against the yen, 104.60. The euro, 1.36 U.S. dollars. The pound now 12 Hong Kong dollars and 68 cents. And Wall Street stocks rose pretty sharply. Uh, investors paying heed to the World Bank estimates. And they also liked some of the earnings that they've seen, uh, particularly from the banks and particularly from a company like Bank of America. The big bank jumped 2.3% after reporting fourth quarter earnings and revenue that beat estimates. Meantime, Apple gained 2%. China Mobile said pre-orders for iPhone phones had reached 1 million. In the end, the S&P 500 was up half a percent at 1848. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 108 points to 16,481. Well, Apple has agreed to pay more than 32 million U.S. dollars to parents who did not know that their children were running up huge bills while playing mobile apps. As part of the settlement, Apple will have to change the way that it actually bills customers. The BBC's Nada Tafik reports from New York. The United States Federal Trade Commission received tens of thousands of complaints from Apple consumers over the unauthorized purchases. In some cases, children ran up hundreds and even thousands of dollars worth of charges for things like virtual dragon food and currency on mobile apps like Dragon Story and Tiny Zoo Friends. The commission argued that Apple did not properly inform account holders that when entering their password, a 15-minute window then opened in which children could incur unlimited charges. The time is now 10 minutes after 8 o'clock. One quick note, Tencent, which is the biggest Internet company in Asia at the moment, is buying a stake in a logistics company in China called China South City. Tencent will spend one and a half billion Hong Kong dollars to acquire a 9.9 percent stake in the firm. It is a move to better compete with the huge commerce firm or e-commerce firm uh, Alibaba. We're joined now by Dickie Wong, who is the director of research at Kingston Securities. Dickie, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, just uh, talk a little bit about uh, general flows in the market uh, now. We've we've seen uh, a reasonably okay open to the year, I guess. Uh, however, it's still lots of sectors doing well and others uh, struggling. How do you see this market at the moment? Well, um, pretty dilemma. As we can see, um, the money inflow to those um, IPOs, they're really hot, like um, yesterday, Miko and um Seno Live went up sharply, and um, money's also inflowed to some um, IPO like Magnum, um, still um, on ongoing their IPO uh, were cut off today. Um, but with, if we talk about the Hang Seng Index overall in general, like those 50 
Hang Seng Index Components dogs. Some underperformed as we all know why, because like HSBC, Standard Chartered rolled out some, um, uh, I mean, a new um, t- target for this year, um, make analysts disappointed. So HSBC may also underperform. And also, I, I do really see like China Mobile, um, there's no way for him to like outperform the overall market because it has to pay a lot um and no matter they sell iPhone or, or not. Um, so, so I think um, overall the general market, like the Hang Seng Index, may just trade like um, around 23,000. Yeah, um, nothing Se- special, seems like but I think that... It seems like we're having a lot of trouble breaching 23,000. It may be another year like last year and the year before where you could make money in the market uh, with selected companies, but uh, just buying yeah. the index, buying the index, not particularly a good idea. Is that how this year looks as well? Exactly. So, um, I, I, I will, um, still bet on like, um, the Macau casino players and also some internet stocks, but I'll wait until they pull back a little bit, like at least um, from its historical high, like 10%. And I think they're still outperforming the overall market. And then the policy address, um, the focus in Bantau Island. So um, for the property price in the future, like the next year or two, I don't see any upside. So uh, Let me ask you, Dickie, well, why is that? You know, it's, it's a f- I think it would be fair to say it's frustrating for a lot of people. You look at the Hong Kong economy is doing reasonably well. We, we didn't suffer as much through the uh, Great Recession as other countries did. And yet our stock market remains just mired in slow speed. And I think a lot of people struggle to, to try to understand why. Yeah, as you can see, S&P 500 index is trading at um, 17 times 4 PE, whereas the Hong Kong um, Hang Seng index is only like 10 times PE. We we also don't understand why, but as we can see, um, the Hang Seng index, like um, Chinese banks and also um, Chinese insurance bank uh, stocks, are not performing well. Uh, follow uh, the footsteps of the day shares market. So nothing we can do because those shares are trading at very low um, valuation now. So it also affect the overall uh, market sentiment. Is it likely that people are fearful of uh, a big drop in property uh, ultimately here? And that's why the properties and the banks have really lagged behind. Yes, the Macau gaming stocks have done well. Yes, the internet stocks have done well. They've done crazy well. I mean, two, three hundred percent. But since the index is made made up of 60, whatever it is, 60-odd, 70% of property and uh, banks that uh, were stuck in the mud. Well, even on a big drop for local property prices, but um, even on a big drop, as long as um, the Hong Kong government, um, it takes some kind of like um, BSD, DSD, SSD, I don't see any upside because no matter the buyers from mainland, they have a higher cost. No matter they buy it from Hong Kong, even they have one apartment, they want to get a bigger one, they have a higher cost. So um, it's not easy for um, the local property um, developer um, to to sell the, the apartments. As we can see now, um, even some new apartments in Hong Kong Island, they sell like just uh, below um, the price like before or just 
it's around the secondary market. Yeah. So this is definitely um, gives some kind of pressure to the local property developers. Okay, Dickie, thanks for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Thank you. Dickie Wong, Director of Research at Kingston Securities. Yeah, you see property stocks down maybe 25, 30% over the past year. The prices, the physical prices, haven't actually moved down much. So it'll be interesting to see this year which one got it right. Is the stock market correct in predicting that prices will go down? Or is the stock market wrong and the physical owners of property are right and better just hang on at these levels? voice like that. Anyway, let's get back to the business here. The main beneficiaries of the Hong Kong policy address are said to be the working poor, the elderly, and the disadvantaged. C.Y. Lung's second policy address has been deemed more pragmatic than visionary. It contains some 160 new but mostly expected measures aimed at poverty alleviation. The initiatives will cost the government an additional $20 billion or so per year in recurrent expenditure alone. And what what would the business response be to this uh, policy address? We're joined by David O'Rear, Chief Economist of the Hong Kong General Chamber of Commerce. David, good morning. Good morning. First, your general reaction. Uh, how would you rate this address? Well, certainly there's nothing in this policy address which would, with which we would disagree. Uh, there's also quite a number of proposals and promises that, for which we would like to see some more detail. Uh, many of the business issues have been dealt with in a broad and long-term manner. And I'm thinking about the maritime authority, aviation training, apprenticeships, and so forth. But the most urgent issue, which is a chronic and acute labor shortage, uh, hasn't been addressed. Nothing, yeah. Neither has the shortage of spaces for international students. Yeah, he um, he mentioned that uh, in the Q&A, that when he spoke with a lot of the chambers, uh, he said they didn't complain too much about the high costs of property here, but what they did complain about was the shortage of school places. And uh, in that uh, news conference, I don't think uh, imported labor even came up. No, it seems to be a bit of a trade-off going on here. There was some discussion in recent weeks about adjusting uh, how the MPF might be used uh, to pay severance pay, uh, as is currently the case, and whether that might be changed. And a few weeks, a couple of months back, we were quite confident that there would be some kind of a statement on labor importation. Neither one of those came about. So it seems to be a bit of a trade-off between the two. One of the columnists in the local paper says it's great that there was no uh, imported labor mentioned. The best way to raise wages would be uh, to leave things as they are and that, uh, you know, people at the lower end, their wages would have to go up because they wouldn't be supplanted by anybody else. Well, certainly we haven't seen uh, very many people being hired at the minimum wage rate. Uh, Companies I'm talking to are consistently uh, talking about wages 10 to $25 an hour more than the minimum wage uh, just to get people in the door. Hmm. What about uh, starting formal negotiations with ASEAN on a free trade agreement? Some people I've noted of late have been talking more about better integration with ASEAN as a way to differentiate ourselves from uh, Shanghai and uh, Shenzhen. 
Well, the ASEAN uh, Free Trade Agreement and its uh, and China's uh, participation in that have been uh, an ongoing issue for Hong Kong. We've been trying to to get our foot in the door to say yes, we want to be part of this as well. And uh, up until several weeks back, um, nothing was moving. And now we do have uh, ASEAN's agreement to have negotiations. So we'll see where that goes from here. And what about um, the business reaction to this possible uh, development on on Lantau uh, and looking at um, trying to develop that area? Is that something that your constituents um, would be um, quite excited about? Well, certainly there will be some that will be very excited about it. Um, if you're in the business of selling cement, that's, that's a, a nice little opportunity there. But again, it's very, very long term. We're not going to see any results coming for for this uh, chief executive's term and maybe not even the next one. Um, but we need to deal with some issues that are on in front of us right now. And, and top of the list is labor. What else is pressing? Well, we have... Uh, General comments about competitiveness come out in the the Heritage Foundation's report that are not nearly as uh, as positive as they have been in the f- past. Uh, we're looking at the uh, the cost of of doing business here, not just from real estate and labor, but also taxes. We have taxes that are are not imposed elsewhere, and and that makes our effective tax rate much higher. Uh, you look at a place like uh, Singapore where they may have a value-added tax, they may have uh, uh, other kinds of taxes we don't pay, but they allow consolidated uh, reporting, so you get uh, group loss relief and loss carryback uh, that we don't do. And so the tax base, the the, the, the items that are taxed, uh, add up to a lot larger amount here. The second part is, is our tax base is one of the narrowest in the world. Uh, about 20% of the population pay taxes. Every time I hear someone talk about middle-class taxpayers, I keep pulling out my uh, my magnifying glass and trying to see if I can't find some. <laughs> you have to be among the 80%. You have to be among the 20% of in terms of income in order to pay tax. So by definition, that's not really middle class. Uh, middle class wouldn't be paying much tax. Well, we just saw the uh, the uh, definition of a poverty line. And there are many different ways you can look at it, anywhere from 15 to 20 percent of the people. That is you know, the definition of, of, of a population, 20 percent poor, 20 percent rich, 60 percent middle class. What we have is 20 percent poor, 20 percent taxpayers, and 60 percent middle class. Well, there's certainly no danger, one wouldn't think, of taxes going up in the near term. However, with some of this additional welfare spending, uh, there are people in the community that are concerned about down the road the possibility of taxes having to go up, even with the enormous uh, surplus that we have. Uh, What is your response to the additional measures put in place and the additional recurrent revenue that we'll take on? Well, I think that when you're looking at the long term uh, in Hong Kong, you've got to take into consideration... Uh, things such as the aging population, um, the quality of education, and how well prepared young people are for entering the workforce here. And remember that you know this is is like Manhattan. This is like the city of London. You don't just come in at a you know, modest education level and expect to be in one of the, the best jobs. You've got to be a performer. And The problem is we don't have a hinterland that they can kind of move off to like they do in places like New York and, and London. Well, we do have an enormous hinterland with tremendous opportunities. The drawback is that it has a different legal system, a different yes. economy, a different health care system, that makes a different, it different insurance system it? and politics it makes and it currency. makes it a lot harder. <laughs> and so you have to really take a chance. You have to grab yourself by the scruff of the neck and say, I'm going to go out there and make something. Uh, 
When we look at the longer term, though, um, the two things that are, are spoken about most uh, obviously are we have to have huge reserves and we have to be preparing for uh, an aging population where we'll have fewer taxpayers. But there's two ways that we can deal with this. The first one is, as the, the IMF told us many years ago, if you don't broaden the tax base, you're going to have to have huge reserves. Now, whether that has been translated in Hong Kong into, we have to have huge reserves. So broadening the tax base is one way that we could deal with uh, this long-term issue of, of where our revenues are coming from. The second one, not having enough workers to care for, to, to provide for the tax base to, to support the elderly, is in importation of labor. We have something like 3% of uh, the total employment in Hong Kong in vacant jobs. That means that we have at least 2% underperformance in our economic growth rate because if you took each of these jobs and put someone in it who could do just the average of the people already doing that kind of work, we would have not 3% growth last year, but 5%. Well, it's nice to have a, a big surplus uh, to, to get you through uh, the deficit years when they ultimately come, which uh, I'm just curious whether you're worried about the next uh, several years, um, maybe not this year. But if you look out into 2015 and 2016, you may have a continued slowing in China at the same time that the U.S. picks up, thus interest rates go up there. And that that could be a problem for us. It's the exact opposite of what we've had. We've had low interest rates at a time when the economy is doing good. If we have higher interest rates at a time when the economy in China and here is sputtering, then we could have a, you know, a, big, a big drop. Certainly, there's always the danger of having your interest rate uh, cycle off kilter with your business cycle. And, and that's something that can be addressed uh, in some economies where they have control over their own interest rates. China's talking about liberalizing uh, control on interest rates and has taken some small steps. And so they have flexibility to deal with it. Uh, if interest rates begin to rise, and I'm not talking about uh, tapering in the U.S., but no, actual, actual increase in interest rates... Yep. Let's say first-time home mortgages go up to 6% or 7%. Yeah. That's going to be a sign of recovery. That's going to be a sign that things so are, are moving pretty well and there is demand. So and that means good. that East Asia's uh, trading environment is going to be okay. much more positive. And as a result, Hong Kong will do well. All right, David. Thank you very much. Uh, very interesting stuff. Thanks for joining us here on the program. David O'Rear, Chief Economist, the Hong Kong General Chamber of Commerce. 25 minutes after 8 o'clock, and this is Radio 3. Well, Li Ka-shing is seeking to raise up to $3.6 billion by spinning off the uh, Hong Kong utilities businesses here into a trust. Interest has been lukewarm, or at least that's the indication after Hong Kong Electric said it would scale back the portion of the trust that plans uh, to go to the public to just 50.1%. We're joined by Alex Frangos, Asia editor for Heard on the Street, the Wall Street Journal. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. So uh, this will be attractive to some first because of a higher dividend, will it not? Uh, that's the idea. I mean, the, you know, this is um, these are like stable, uh, you know, electricity assets that should be throwing off uh, cash to investors, and um, you know, you could the, the the sales pitch is you know buy these shares and you'll uh, you know have a nice dividend and uh, that'll take care of you in this uh, period of very uh, low interest rates uh, around the globe. So, but, so the unattractive part would be that the uh, prospects for growth are not that strong. 
well, cr- prospects for growth are not strong um, in the business itself, which isn't a problem if it's a trust and you're just expecting, you know, at, you know, income to, to be coming in. The problem is that the rest of the world is changing, as you just noted. The you know interest rates in the U.S. are going up. I mean, we the the, the Fed hasn't raised interest rates, but you know, ten-year Treasuries have have risen a lot, and that's sort of the the basis of comparison for deciding whether to own a uh, you know a stock like uh, like Hong Kong Electric or uh, you know owning a bond and uh, you know, right now that difference is, you know, you get three percent on a treasury and maybe uh, um, six to seven percent on the dividend for for a Hong Kong Electric uh, stock when it when it IPOs. But you know, in a year from now, if that spread is five percent uh, for treasuries and six percent for Hong Kong Electric, it's not quite as attractive. Do you think Mr. Lee waited too long? Um, you know, this particular uh, well, Power Assets generally has performed amazingly well up until May of last year when Ben Bernanke started talking about. Uh, tapering and has performed very badly since then. Would this have been a better um, sale, say, around uh, last summer? Uh, yeah, I think it would have been a better sale when people were just envisioning, you know, rates staying close to zero for, you know, for infinity. And then this looks like a, you know, like a great opportunity. And um, you, you saw this other listed trust um uh, the uh, Hong Kong Telecom Trust that came out um, a little while back, and that's actually done quite well, precisely for that reason. The timing was much better. Came when people were, um, you know, where the play between you know dividend and, and uh, bond yields was uh, much more attractive. Yeah, the Hutchison Port Holdings Trust uh, is down pretty significantly since it had its Singapore IPO in March of 2011. Yeah, I mean the 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 fear among investors is that you know Lee Kashing is such a smart guy and so successful that whatever he's selling, he's selling for a reason. Yeah, and um, I don't know that that's always true, but uh, in this case, when you look at you know Hong Kong Electric, you look at the debt that is going to be put on its balance sheet, um, you look at the dividend yield, you look at the growth prospects, and the and the likelihood that the the regulator here in Hong Kong could lower its regulated rate of return as it becomes a even more mature uh, electricity market. It just it all adds up to a formula that doesn't really make sense for investors. So do you think that this will not be, I mean, the roadshow, is it, has it started yet? Uh, what, what's, the, what's the response from investors so far? Well, it, you know, it's hard. It's hard to gauge at this point. Um, you know, the the, the range of uh, in terms of the percentage of, of shares that they were going to sell was is up up to seventy percent, and they brought that down to to closer to fifty percent, which you know could be an indication that uh, investors are a little lukewarm on it. But you know, you never know. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's really hard to predict how investors will react and, and what they're thinking. Speaking of debt, uh, if you could comment just uh, for a minute or two on. The debt woes that we see in China, uh, both at the local government level and at the corporate level, um, are you concerned about that? Yeah, I, I think we're very concerned about it. I mean, you look at uh, the, the total social financing figures that came out yesterday, which are the kind of broadest measure of of debt in the Chinese economy, and um, you know th- they continue to grow faster than the the nominal rate of uh, uh, of GDP, which indicates you know there's more debt compared to the size of the economy. I mean, it slowed down a little bit in the fourth yes. quarter, which is good news. But there, you know, there are huge, uh, you know, the, the huge things to tackle. And w- one of the problems is I mean, the good thing that people point to at China is, okay, this is a, you know, there's decision making is easy. There's one guy who's really in charge, and he can make things happen. But what we're seeing is, 
you know, infighting among the regulators. The People's Bank of China really wants to tackle um, the interbank uh, lending market and some of the excesses there. And then you have the CBRC that's, you know, kind of standing in the way and the banks themselves being very power, powerful lobbies. So um, the, the worry is that they see the problem, but they can't really do anything about it. Yeah. All right. Well, interesting. Uh, we'll follow up on this with you uh, maybe six months down the road, see how we've progressed. Uh, Alex, thank you. Uh, that's Alex Frangos, Asia editor for Heard on the Street at the Wall Street Journal. The time is now 8.30, and that's the program for today, Money for Nothing. Well, just to follow up, markets are higher. It looks like green numbers right across the board. The Nikkei up six-tenths of a percent. Australia even uh, stronger, three-quarters of a percent up. And in Seoul, the Kospi is up about uh, two-tenths of one percent. Weather today, well, it's going to be cold in the morning, dry during the day. Maximum temperature, just 17 degrees. And the outlook for the next few days, fine and dry. Eight thirty one, the news with Samantha Butler. Police in Britain say they've broken up an international crime group that organized the sexual abuse of children in the Philippines live over the Internet. Charities in the Philippines believe tens of thousands of children are victims, some forced into it by their parents, who use Internet chat rooms to find clients. The children's rights charity Tier des Hommes recently conducted an operation to catch people using similar services. A spokesperson, Hans Hoyt, said the abusers were preying on desperately poor people. These people are poor. And this is all about survival. This is, uh, for them, they think the only way out of the poverty trap. There is a huge demand for this kind of sexual activities. At any given moment in time, there are 750,000 men looking to engage children into this kind of uh, sexual activities. It's so widespread that we managed to identify individuals from 71 countries. The Thai government's decision not to postpone national elections